This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure and blessing to be here with the audience here present with us and those listening. My name is Father Chris Landfried. I'm associate pastor at Santa Maria del Popolo Parish here in Mandalay, Illinois. And we have the great blessing of being joined by three guests visiting us from the United Kingdom, Dr. Gavin Ashenden, Mrs. Catherine Bennett, and Mr. Mark Lambert, who all write for the Catholic Herald Unscripted. But that way we're allowing for the opportunities and the possibilities and the interactions to form and direct and guide the, sp the talks, the sharing, the relationships, and the possibilities for the future. So I will leave them now to share their individual stories and then part of what their journey has been, the sacrifice of what they've left behind, families, commitments, responsibilities, to come to this unexpected, unscripted journey to see where God and the Holy Spirit may be leading them in supporting the Catholic faith and the religious faithful. Hello, my name is Gavin, Gavin Ashenden, and I'm, I'm here with two of my, my friends, my very best friends, in fact. Uh, and I haven't been to Chicago for about 25 years. The last time I came here, I was here doing uh, some doctoral research, <clears throat> and it looks like it hasn't changed at all to me. It's, it's the same surprise of weather, sunshine one day, snow the next, <laughs> and keeps us on our toes. But I'm, the last time I came here, I, I was an Anglican priest, um, and I thought my life was set on a fairly straightforward trajectory. I was an academic and uh, I'm very happy to be an Anglican. I was very proud to be an Anglican. I thought it had the best of all worlds. And I'm now astonished to discover that I was completely wrong and <laughs> I've become a Roman Catholic. And my journey here was a surprising one if I, and uh, took, took some very strange turns. On the, way, uh, on the way, I became a person of enormous importance and prestige uh, in England. In fact, um, one of, one of my closest colleagues was somebody you, you would have heard of as Her Late Majesty the Queen. And uh, I hung around Buckingham Palace a lot, and she and I got on very closely together uh, until I, I began to, to talk about difficult political issues as, as her chaplain. And then it became one of the rules in England is that you mustn't draw the Queen into politics. And, and in our particular case, we had a, we had a crisis, one epiphany. Uh, there was a, an Anglican dean, and he decided that he would uh, he would juice up the Epiphany service by getting rid of St. Paul and the second reading uh, in the Epiphany Mass, and instead he'd put in a bit of Muhammad and read from the Quran, and 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 then he'd get a he'd get a practicing Muslim to do it. And and what made it even more exciting was that the piece of the Quran that they chose to read was a bit that said Jesus was a fraud and never rose from the dead. And I, th I thought this was a shame. <laughs> Didn't seem to me to be the right thing to do at the right time, and, and I said so. But because I was the Queen's chaplain, um, the, people, well, the good news was that people listened, and the bad news was that it caused a crisis. So I was presented with a, with a very clear choice by some important people, and the choice was, it's nice to have your views in the public space, but if you want to express your views, you need to resign. And do it, and do it not on behalf of the Queen, uh, but of course they were quite right because the Queen can't get involved. I mean, it would be nice in some ways if if the Queen and the King did get involved in politics. But you remember the trouble that caused with George the Third and your and tea and taxes and in in your particular case. So that didn't end very well for us either. So ever since it ended badly with you, we've followed this idea that you don't bring in the Queen and the King into politics if you can and help it. So I had to choose: did I go on to go on talking about these things in particular? trying to be true to the Christian faith and our Lord Jesus, uh, in which case I needed to resign and say goodbye to the Queen. She was brokenhearted, of course. She didn't know how she managed without me. Uh, I'm very pleased to say she got over it in time, and I went on my way. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then and the journey very slowly took me towards becoming a Catholic, partly because I discovered Our Lady. Um, I have to tell you the truth. I thought the devotion to Our Lady that some of our more high church priests uh, expressed was actually a form of compensating for a really bad mother-son relationship. And um, I was astonished that actually far from being a psychological truth that Our Lady was real and she was in 
involved in in the world and in fact once i discovered her apparitions i really i got very excited indeed because they seem to me to be almost certainly incontrovertibly true. I went looking for the Garabondal was because when, when she appeared at Garabondal in northern Spain about 1963, I was nine. And I thought, well, this was happening while I was eating tea and cakes in England near Wimbledon where I grew up. And um, whilst life was quite exciting there, at that very moment, Our Lady was appearing to three kids nearly my age in Garabondal saying, pray more, repent more, love my son more, and tell the clergy to get their act together. And so when I saw the videos, I, I was really very impressed. You know, there's, one, there's a wonderful photograph of a child kneeling to receive the host, which Our Lady promised. And the Archangel Michael comes and places the host on her tongue. And one moment, there's an open mouth and, and a tongue. And the next moment, there's a host from nowhere on her tongue. And this is before they photoshopped. There's no way this could be photoshopped. And slowly but surely... Uh, people came to the conclusions with Our Lady. And once I discovered that, I went looking for the other apparitions. One of my favorite ones happened in about the year 350 to a man called Wonderworker. What's Wonderworker? Gregory, Gregory Thormaturges. And um, he, was a, he was a miserable Syrian bishop who'd got, come in for a time of depression. And basically, the Lord had given him some serious responsibilities and he got fed up and, and hid in a corner and had a depressive moment. And then, at, just at that time, St. John the Apostle and Our Lady, who you remember were very close in Ephesus after the resurrection, came and visited him and told him to cheer up and to get off his backside and everything will be okay. And he did, and he then evangelized the rest of Syria and all went very well, and he helped solve a, a council and a crisis. I was so impressed the way Our Lady had gone on appearing right up to the present day in Medjugorje. And I thought, it, what, how, how can I belong to a church that doesn't recognize that and celebrate that. And then, but it would have been very uncomfortable to, to, <laughs> to move then. I still had a career, I thought. Uh, and then I discovered the Eucharistic miracles. And I read about the Eucharistic miracle in Buenos Aires in 1996. And for a very long time, my friends and I, ever since we were at Anglican Seminary, we'd argued about exactly what way the Lord didn't come in the bread. <laughs> because the Protestants don't think he does come, they think he doesn't come. And, the way you where you find him is you 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 conjure up a fit of muscular spiritual imagination, and through your imagination, somehow something happens. No one knows what it is, but it's it's not transubstantiation. So when I discovered that a bleeding host had been sent to a laboratory in New York, and they had discovered that in the blood there were white blood cells that came from one particular ventricle in the heart, and it's the same blood type as the Eucharistic miracle in Laziano in the 10th century in Italy. It's the same blood as on the shroud. I was completely blown away. And because I spent the whole of my life fighting against scientists in the university here where I taught, who all thought that the science that they had proved that God didn't exist. And suddenly I discovered the science that they had proved God did exist and proved he existed in the Eucharist. And at that point, I couldn't bear the idea of celebrating Anglican Eucharists where nothing happened. <laughs> so I wanted to become a Catholic, to be able to go to Mass where something happened every single time. So I said goodbye to the Queen. She was brokenhearted, but she decided she could cope. And I became a Roman Catholic. And then I met my wonderful friends here. And the rest, as they say, is history. And I'm going to pass over to the astonishing Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> who is a high school education teacher of some considerable aplomb. <laughs> Thank you, Dr Gavin Ashenden, former chaplain to the Queen. So I'm Catherine Bennett. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. I love your city. That We've been here for just over a week and it's great and it's so good to be here to meet you all today and thank you for listening. So to give you a little idea of my background and what's brought me here today, well, it begins when I was in my mother's womb in 1976 and she uh, and she was um, considered an old mother. She didn't think she'd have children. Nowadays it's not so unusual but she was in her 40s and she uh, was also um, had German measles and so the doctors recommended she terminate the pregnancy and she said she couldn't say that she didn't think about it because she did and she was frightened but she did what she always did when she was frightened and she turned to our Lord um, and she trusted in him Jesus I trust in you and she was didn't know how this would end but she pursued the pregnancy and had me and here I am 
today. Um, and so my life began, and I owe my life to my mother's faith. She was a devout uh, Catholic, a holy and good woman. And my experience of Catholicism in my infancy and childhood was nothing but positive. It was really, really happy. And we had family masses um, uh, at home. We had prayers. We said the rosary together. And it was really beautiful. And then they sent me to Catholic school, uh, which in the 70s and 80s was just did worse than nothing, you know, actually. And I started to slowly slip from my faith. The catechism was non-existent or poor. And at that time, my mother, who had been such a huge influence on me and my life, became very ill. And she suffered throughout my early teens with cancer recurring and remission and recurrence until finally, by the time I was university age, she, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer uh, and then it had spread to her brain. So she, she then um, suffered with, for about six, seven months, um, dying, knowing that she was dying. And uh, I went back to help her in those months. And in those months, I would say I'd already started slipping, but my anger with God then increased. And I thought, what, what kind of God would allow this good and beautiful woman, the holiest woman I knew, who devoted her life faithfully to him, she was only, you know, she was, she was a young, relatively young woman, um, to suffer like this and to die. And I could feel this anger, but whenever I looked at her, she didn't have that anger. She suffered so well, and she offered it up. And that made me more angry, because I was thinking, what are you doing offering it up? What, what, what does that do? It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. And so I thought, well, maybe she's offering it up because she's hoping for a miracle. So then I hoped for a miracle and the miracle didn't come as far as I knew then. And she died. And so shortly after her death, um, the anger had grown. The, I was poorly catechized. I slipped further and further until really I just completely lost my faith. And worse than that, I then became quite angry with Christians and wanted to go around disabusing them of their silly notions and say, you've got it wrong. And around that time, it was quite um, that there was a rise with the new atheists, you know, Christopher Hitchens, Stephen Fry in the UK. And here were intellectual giants and they had they were really attracting young people like me. And I was listening to all their arguments and thinking, yes, I'm, a, I'm an atheist down with God and you know, look at the way this so-called God treats people. So that was me in my early to mid-twenties. And then just a few little things, you know, these little moments of grace that penetrate our lives. I can look back now and see God at work in those. So I went on a, a holiday to Paris. My brother had lived there then at that time. And I did some touristy things and I went to this beautiful chapel, Saint-Chapelle, which is just stunning. And having come here, I can I've, I've had the same experience in some of your churches here. And I went in and I wasn't religious at this time. I'd lost my faith, just being a tourist. And I just fell to my knees. I was absolutely overwhelmed by the beauty of Saint-Chapelle. And start, tears came, tears came to my eyes. And I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. I knew something was going on, but I, I didn't know what. And it was like this little crack had opened um, that then brought me the beginning of my journey home. And this wasn't too long after my mum had died. And when I returned to the UK, I got a new job. And in that job, I met a young man in particular, a few people in my life, but this young man in particular was the first Catholic I met who I would say took his faith really seriously and knew his faith. And he, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful to see. He spoke about his vocation as a father, uh, as, a, as a husband, and spoke about his wife so beautifully. And he would attend mass daily if he could and pray the rosary and say grace before meals. And it was such a good model. And I, I found myself getting into discussions with him, asking questions. And I didn't agree with him. Um, I, I thought maybe there's something about this Christianity but uh, not Catholicism, because they've got it wrong. They, they won't ordain women. Um, they don't want to bless same-sex couples. You know, this church of 2,000 years, they've got it all wrong. According to me, according to my standards, they've got it all wrong. So, such was my pride. And as I began discussing these things with my friend, 
who then directed me to some things to read and, and to try and understand better. That, that sin that had a tendency to puff me up suddenly started to make me realize how small I was. And as I read scripture, the church fathers and, and investigated my faith, partly to see why it was so wrong, well, I found out why it was true, good and beautiful. I found that out in my attempt to see, see how bad it was, I saw how beautiful it was. And so the head had shifted then. I, I understood my faith better and knew that I wanted to return to the faith, but the heart still had some work to go. And I went to uh, the chapel and joined in with the rosary and sat before the Blessed Sacrament. And this internal shift that you can't, you know, I can't find words to explain it to you, but anyone who has experienced it will know this, this internal shift where I just absolutely desperately wanted to return to, to Jesus and the sacraments. Uh, that yearning, that restless heart, um, just knew the only place that I could find rest was in him. And at that point I couldn't because of all the mistakes I had made in my life and all the ways in which I veered far from our Lord. Um, I, I had to go to confession for the first time in a long time <laughs> and uh, lay it all at his feet and then return home. And my life is what's brought me here. It's just been the most beautiful thing, this transformation. I look at my life and I think the husband I have, the children I have, the family I have, and the opportunities that they have, and the opportunities that I have. It's like, I ask God from where I am. Is it, who's that, Alexander the Great? I ask God from where I am and he gives from where he is. He's given so abundantly, more than I could have ever imagined. And to link it to the beginning of my story, what I saw as inexplicable, which was my mum's offering up of her suffering, couldn't understand it. I now see it, I see the effects of that, of her offering that up, sacrificing that to the cross and saying, Lord, do with it, do with it what you will. And in that offering comes my return, her daughter's return, who she saved in the womb. She saved me once in the womb, and then her prayers and sacrifice saved me today. Okay, it's my go now. <laughs> so I'm Mark. Um, and I, I, the first thing I'd like to say really is thank you very much for welcoming, welcoming us here. Um, this is the first time I've been to Chicago and it, I just think it's the most beautiful Catholic city really and there's so much wonderful Catholic culture. Um, I think we've been quite astounded really with uh, you know, some of the beautiful churches that you've got that really uh, we didn't think there was anything like that outside Europe, you know, outside Italy and Rome. So I started off as the child of an Irish immigrant um, they say scratch an English Catholic find an Irishman um, and my mum basically comes from a small village called Murrisk which is the village which is at the foot of St Patrick's Holy Mountain on Clue Bay which you might know when we were kids no one knew it but now everyone seems to go there um, so um, which is quite annoying sometimes you know <laughs> um, so that was where I got my faith from Ireland really um, and grew up, you know, grew up saying my, my mum taught me my prayers in Irish and Latin as well as in English. Um, and uh, I went to a Jesuit grammar school in England, which um, I think one of the contrasts we've seen coming over with the wonderful schools that we've been able to visit is how beautifully they teach the Catholic faith. And in England, the schools are state-sponsored um, so that they're all uh, sort of government-controlled. Um, which means that there's a, not with all of them, there are some good ones, but there's a bleed over there of a, an agenda, uh, which, so, you know, the same experience as Catherine said, uh, it, if anything, it sort of decreased my faith rather than uh, increased my faith. Um, but nevertheless, I managed to find my way to um, a pilgrimage in Lourdes, in France, and on the bus on the way there in 1989, I met a lovely young lady, and we got married in 1995. And on the way between the journey of meeting and getting married, we went to Lourdes on a numerous, on a number of occasions, helping handicapped children especially, uh, which was an, an, an amazing experience. And for me, I felt that my faith was very much expressed in that rolling up of sleeves and pushing wheelchairs around. Or, you know, it, my question was always, what's the efficacy? What, what does it mean to be a Catholic? What does it mean in your life? 
and that was one answer an early answer to it was to actually be some practical help to, to people who needed it and then as we as life went along we had a couple of boys uh, and I thought to myself how am I playing out this this Catholic faith in my life what does it mean does it mean enough I've made a promise to bring up my children as Catholics and am I going to be able to answer their questions and it was a time when there were a lot of questions you know I think in this age isn't there there's a lot of challenges a lot of questions to the faith and I had a friend who just gone to off to seminary to be a priest and we were having a back and forth all the time he kept saying you've got to study formally you know you need direction in your reading I was reading all kinds of stuff and uh, eventually I signed up for this amazing course in theology um, at a place called the Maryvale Institute which is where Newman lived when he St. John Henry Newman when he first converted. Um, so it's a pontifically validated university and it's a five-year degree and we had all the lecturers from Rome come over to lecture us in, in divinity in various like theological studies and that really was a turning point for me in terms of the fact that before that I think I, you would say I was a cultural Catholic you know. I, I went to mass and did all the things but I didn't really understand how incredibly beautiful and powerful our faith is and what a transformative effect it has not just on our individual lives but also on the lives of those around us in terms of building culture and society and civilization you know we built civilization so I can remember going to the first set of lectures that I went to and really thinking wow this is amazing you know what an amazing truth we're being told here and why haven't I been told it before you know I was in my 30s at this point and uh, it was quite an extraordinary revelation so I really enjoyed it really got into the course got really into reading was reading you know very broadly about the subject and then just before the course ended really um, I was running a business so I, I you know I was able to juggle my time so that I could study properly and um, one day my little my seven-year-old daughter asked if we could go out in the car and we were riding down the road and I hit a patch of water and the car turned over and she was killed. And it was just, you know, and a completely devastating experience. And um, it changed everything, really. It changed everything in my, in my life at that point. And um, I think a lot of people ask, didn't you, you know, were you upset or angry with God? But the truth of what happened to me and my own experience and the experience of my wife and my family was that we were completely cared for by, by God during that time. And even though it was difficult to see at the time, God had put all these little interconnections and little events in place. It was almost like he knew it was going to happen, but he couldn't, you know, he, like he, he, he put every help in the way to sort of help us to cope with this incredible tragic loss in our lives. And we live in uh, Leon Sea, which is in the mouth of the River Thames, is a little fishing village. And we've got an amazing parish priest, and he walked every step of that agony with us, you know, as a family. And the community came around us. So the importance of the parish, you know, was made very visible and very real. And uh, they, you know, they cooked for us and looked after us and cared for us. And slowly, slowly, over a, a long period of time, we came back to life a little bit, you know. But we were obviously still grieving this terrible loss. And we were praying. I think my, my wife, my amazing wife Louise and I were, we'd sort of made a decision that if we could, you know, we were open to life, we would live in a Catholic marriage. Um, but we hadn't had any children for a while. And we were hoping that God would bless us with another child. Um, I think, and that sort of wasn't happening, you know, for whatever reason, for, for a little while. And I think it might have been because there was a block in my prayer life and my, you know, really, because what I was really, I'm sure you can imagine, what I really wanted was my daughter back, you know. So I was sort of angry with God, wrestling with God, you know, like Jacob at the Javok and tussling over this, uh, this incredible loss. And we went, so to, we went to another pilgrimage, another um, Marian shrine in Tarpinu in Gozo, which is on the Maltese archipelago. There's a beautiful shrine there to Our Lady. And both of us went in to pray in this church, which we loved. And we, we both had the same prayer in our hearts. You know, we knew we had the same prayer in our hearts. But for me, there was a real change in my own attitude. And instead of 
asking for my, you know, really asking for my daughter back, I recognised that there was a change that I, I, my heart changed. And looking at my amazing boys, you know, I was like, Lord, how could I be upset if we had another son? Or and and really, my prayer changed to Thy will be done. You know, like whatever's in Your plan, Lord, I'm here. Let you know, I'll walk the path that You want me to walk. And when we came out. I, you know, like Louise said to me, what did you pray for? And, you know, obviously I told her and she said, yeah, the same. But she had a cousin who'd lost a child very in a very dramatic miscarriage not that long before and who was younger than us and they were desperate for children. So she'd sort of said, Lord, you know, please can Mary, like this other lady, be pregnant as well. And when we got back from that holiday, Louise was pregnant straight away. Mary was pregnant and now she's got three children as well. So... It was, and you know, sometimes that the the way prayers are answered are they speak to those deep truths deep inside us, don't they? And it's it's difficult to articulate how important that is, but perhaps you can see how that was an incredible miracle in our lives, you know. And in 2012, our daughter Mary was born, and that was extremely, you know, emotional um, and very redemptive, very healing for us. Um, and she's the light of our lives, obviously. She's not Ruth. But she is, you know, a, a great compensation, a great... So when all that happened, when all that tragedy happened, my parish priest, you know, very bravely stood with us through the whole thing. And he said a lot of things to me on that journey. Um, some of them were very unhelpful. <laughs> but some of them were very, very helpful. And one of the things that he said to me was that God will turn this... You know, it was difficult to see at the time, but he said God will turn this great tragedy to good. And I managed to carry, I managed to continue with my studies to limp through. You know, even though during the sad times, I literally got by through prayer, the sacraments, the, sacri the sacrifice of the mass, really, and the rosary. And that was really all that kept me sane, you know, during that time. Um, but coming back now, I, you know, I started to get involved in um, diocesan projects, uh, working in the parish in RCIA and you know, formation with uh, confirmandi and stuff like that. Um, and then increasingly got, you know, been, been asked to go and do talks at parishes and one thing or another. And then uh, met up with Catherine and Gavin in the form that Gavin said, like with Catholic education, because I've been a governor in a school and one thing or another and had five kids. So um, that's really what's led us to this point now uh, where we're, we're coming out and what we're trying to do is encourage our brothers and sisters um, to say God does walk with us in a very powerful way and, and we can be confident in his love in our, in our lives. So that's my story. Thank you. So thank you to our three guests for sharing their beautiful stories. Three different voices, three different perspectives, three different life experiences that all obviously intertwined and complementary through the faith, through devotion, through prayer through discovering God's love and providence working in their lives and that has brought them together in the UK and now has brought them to our shores. So now I'm gonna put them on the spot to possibly share. They've been here for four or five days, seems like four or five months because we've done so much in such a short amount of time and they're still processing all their experiences. We've been to a couple Catholic schools, we've been to shrines, we've had mass in different places, and much providence in this visit and coalescing their thoughts, hopes, dreams, and ideas, and offering them to the Lord of where to direct them further as they continue, continue their journey together. And I'll put them on the spot to perhaps share what they've been experiencing or what's working upon their hearts in this moment. The I think the first thing is, Obviously, from a from an English point of view, there's um, a, there's a, a great problem with the faith in Europe, isn't there? You know, I'm sure you're all aware of it. Um, and it's really, if you had to identify what it is, I think some of the people we've talked to have talked about the new atheists, and we mentioned that they, you know, certainly they had an effect on things. But if it was, if I was to put my finger on what I think it is, it's it's broadly apathy. You know, it seems to be that people just aren't bothered. And from a Catholic point of view, we're not teaching anyone. You know, in, in England, it's real, you know, there are a few of us. And where do we get our resources from? Where are we getting our material from? It's from you guys. You know, we come to Ascension Press. All, our, all of our stuff, really, is, is American stuff, the, all the good stuff. 
Um, and we're, we're EWTN and stuff like that has been absolutely fantastic because it and what has it done? It's reinvigorated all of us. I think it's given us all some courage. And we hadn't heard, you know, we we it's sort of just been quietening down in England year after year after year. So to hear and then to come over here and to meet people like Father Chris and we've met some amazing clergy, Father Ryan, and they've been fantastic, you know, absolutely brilliant priests. So that gives you a great deal of courage as well. And then you've got the Via Procultudinus, you know, the way of beauty and to see the beautiful buildings and that you guys care that's fantastic and that you care about your children and what's being taught to your children and that the focus in the schools that we've been to is on truth and the transcendentals so i think those things are really really important that we can then you know take back to england and i would also say that the faith in england is not dead you know we've been through some terrible times it, you weren't even allowed to be a catholic in england you know in sort of until the mid 19th century officially when the hierarchy was restored so um it's despite that great suppression we've still got like walsingham was the the second greatest shrine outside of jerusalem you know up until the reformation so and it's still a great center of pilgrimage marian shrine today so um and we've got incredible churches we've got incredible priests working really hard uh, rebuilding the faith and so inspired by what you're doing here that's really what we've been trying to do we've had lots of friends say wouldn't it be nice if there were some english accents out there you know to inspire the english as well as our american brothers and sisters so that's very much my perspective well i don't i don't have too much more to add other than just to agree with mark and what he said i think beauty is what comes to mind i've been completely bowled over by two things one is you walk along the street and you go to a cafe and you get talking and people hear the accent and they say what are you doing here and you say we here because we do this thing catholic unscripted thinking no one someone will politely go that's interesting as they might in the uk or throw tomatoes at you but um but but here they say oh you do catholic unscripted i'm a catholic I'm, I'm just bumping into, we're just bumping into Catholics in coffee shops and in restaurants. And so first of all, it's just that that's really lovely to have that sense that, that you're, there's this community here. And secondly, just that beauty again. We've been to St. Peter's Volo, Marytown, St. Mary of the Angels in the city. And each time, uh, that moment I spoke about when I was in Saint-Chapelle in Paris, where it brought me to my knees and tears to my eyes each time time that has hit me again and it's been a long time that there are beautiful churches in in england but to come i suppose perhaps not expecting that and then coming to find that in some ways the exterior beautiful as it is doesn't you know you open in this revelation of just how utterly beautiful and the reverence as well because what that's what we're we're losing isn't it we're losing that reverence that that reverence for the eucharist and to come and see that here in many places we've gone has been just so beautiful and thank you for that that's been something i'm going to take back and i feel my heart is full it's just beautiful so mark talked about the crisis <clears throat> that the church is facing the church has weathered so many crises over 2000 years but it's got a very big one at the moment because two ideas have come along that are uh, if they if they take the church over they'll destroy it the, the first one we all know about it was uh, it was the science saying that you can't prove the faith, that the supernatural is some kind of wish fulfillment. And really, to get real with them, the real world, you have to drop superstitious religion and believes in miracles and, and heaven and hell. One of the most wonderful things about being a Catholic is that heaven has broken into time and space constantly through the lives of the saints above all. And, the, and it begins with the Mass, of course, but the supernatural element in Catholicism is partly what makes it completely different from so many other ways of being a Christian. And the other ways of being a Christian have, have they've folded under the pressure. But, but constantly within the Catholic Church, we still keep on getting miracles. We get crucifixes that bleed. We get icons that weep. We get crutches that are thrown away and people being healed. We get hearts that are melted, lives that are turned round. There's an, an unending river of miracles that God does as people open their hearts to him. And so we've seen off the challenge from science. 
there's another challenge and it's to try and turn faith into therapy so we find in the history of the church especially when our lady comes that people are reminded of the reality of heaven and the horrible reality of hell and heaven is what is where everything we long for everything good every every profound instinct that god has given us like a homing pigeon in the heart directs us towards but the experience of saying no to god is like the experience of refusing to forgive someone you get caught up in a kind of reservoir of of poison in your own heart and it doesn't poison anybody else it poisons you and hell is the poison that takes place when we don't allow god to make us better and to, and to heal us heaven and hell are real but the present relation religion of, of the of therapy tells us what's really important is to develop yourself a kind of self-actualization Jung called it individualization it's whenever you hear the phrase developing your full potential <clears throat> it's one of the catchphrases of the new religion and in one sense it sounds marvelous why shouldn't people develop who they have it in them to be well except that the trouble is some of us don't have very much potential I have so little potential that I need to go to heaven to be happy if I had to, if I depended upon developing my potential nothing very much would change <laughs> I get carried to heaven instead where I find our Lord waiting for me in his love but the fact is not very many people have potential I mean, there are some clever people but being clever has never made them happy there are artistic people but being very artistic hasn't made them very happy there are some for profoundly insightful people but that in itself doesn't make them or others happy the only thing that makes us happy is the God who made us to fit into his heart in the right shape but our culture likes the idea of fulfilling our self potential because it makes us feel important it makes us feel that actually well we're a little bit like God um, it's it's changing the God out there who made us and who calls us home and making instead a God in here but the trouble is the people who practice new therapy they're not very happy and their gods are not very impressive and they they don't do very much and there are no miracles except disillusion and disappointment but the religion of therapy has taken over the church and is trying to change the way in which we do our understanding of sexuality the latest one is to take our our poor teenagers and in an act of social contagion to persuade them that they were born into the wrong bodies and maybe with a bit of mutilation and a few chemicals they can find happiness by being some other kind of sex i'm not very good at being a man but i'd be much worse at being a woman and i know some women who are not very good at being women and they'd be awful being men and the fact is what christianity does is allows us to accept our lives as gifts who we are and then god says well you may not be very good as a man or a woman but i will make you better and he does but if we accept this new religion this new therapy this new focus on sex and identity we miss the reality of the love of God and the problem is that some people in the Catholic Church have lost confidence in the God who loves them and breaks through with miracles and love and they're opting for the new therapy and it's a different religion and it doesn't even bring them the happiness it promises and so one of the things we do together as Catholics is to try and remind the rest of the church because if you've been outside the church if you've been outside faith and you haven't had any then you want when you regain it to come back and tell people who've taken it a bit for granted that they have the most wonderful gift and if you've been outside the church because you've been a Protestant however well-meaning it was and you've missed out completely on the Mass and Our Lady and the saints and, and, and the beauty of the church that Jesus planted. You want to come back and tell the Catholics who've taken it for granted that they're in the most wonderful family and organization and even institution and organic way of being human that has ever been made. And the things it has done are mind-blowing. The best music, the best churches, the best drama, and most of all, the best people, the saints. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the Catholic Church. Don't swap it for something fake and empty. Because if we do, the, our children who come after us will be confined to fake, empty religions that will take them away from the God who made them and who loved them and who gave them to us to help them get to heaven. We need to keep the faith and to encourage one another to do it and one of the things we want to do is to come over here and see how you're doing it as as in the best way possible and then take that back and do it when we get back home to mutually encourage each other to be faithful to jesus and to serve the church with all our heart thank you in-person audience here have any questions they would like to ask
I'd like to ask Dr. Gavin, during your realization of being an Anglican and transitioning then to being Catholic, what was your family's impression of, of that transition? I love the fact we're using the word transition. This is the only context in which I'm happy to use the word transition. So I, I transitioned <laughs> from being an Anglican to being a Catholic, and my goodness, I'm proud of it. My, my family were a bit surprised. Uh, actually, my wife got there first, all credit to her. She said, hurry up, what's taking you so long? Uh, it's obvious, and I, I'm afraid I gave her quite a hard time. Um, but I think I gave her a hard time, not because I'm a prejudiced, bigoted, narrow-minded, stupid man, which you might think, uh, but actually because the devil doesn't like people becoming Catholics. And, and we all get... I have this picture of human beings as, as... We're a bit like marionettes. And one of the ways the devil interferes with our lives is he, he, he puts little filaments of his influence on our necks. And they're just small, but he gets to twitch them. And, and twitching one or two doesn't make matter much, but if, but if there's ten on you, twitching ten makes a big difference. And I found I was being twitched, because whenever the prospect of becoming a Catholic came up, I, I got unreasonably angry. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a very, very nice man. I have so much patience, you wouldn't believe it. I'm kind, forgiving, broad-minded, except when it comes humble. to being a cat. Humble. humble, very humble. <laughs> Except, uh, uh, and then I discovered I was all, knowing all I was all these things. I was so surprised when the top, when the, the the idea of my wife becoming a Catholic came up, that went out of the window, and I became a nasty, bad-tempered, cantankerous, critical person. And I thought, how does? But I knew. I mean, even I knew there was something wrong with my reaction, and that that gave me to pause to think. My children are used to my being eccentric and having eccentric ideas. And at the moment, I'm simply trying, I've been trying to persuade them to be Christian for the whole of my lives. And they get it, and then they withdraw a bit, and they get it, and they withdraw a bit. Uh, and I'm now saying, please, please, please enter into the fullness of faith. And they look, well, we love each other very much. So they're a bit bemused, but everyone has their own journey to make and just like God and me he didn't force me he just invited me teased me cajoled me made me hungry so I with my children won't force them I just say come this way and what I hope is that that what happens in my life will be sufficiently virtuous and attractive and interesting to make them say yeah let's do what dad did you guys have uh, said a lot of good things about this country and the truth is this country and our church in this country has been kind of on a downward spiral. We've removed God from our institutions, our schools, and since then we've replaced it with, you know, the opposite of God. And since then, you know, you can see it. We're on a downward spiral. Mark, you've mentioned state-run schools. You know, they're trying that in our country right now. After you've mentioned a lot of what you said about, you know, changing the sexes of uh, our young people and we as Catholics you know we need to stand up and unite and say enough is enough because honestly I mean I've I have been discerning the priesthood myself for quite some time and I'm afraid to join that priesthood because I don't know what's expected of me on the other side and I think as patriots of this country or your country or this church it's God's church and it's also our church, and we follow Jesus, and that we're following. It's Jesus Christ that we're following, and it's our church. So we need to get people out and get the right people in. So how can God make you Archbishop of Chicago if you won't be, if you won't be ordained? Oh, if you want an exercise in humility, I'll tell you how to do that. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I've got them praying already. It must be a good thing. So I've been a bit lighthearted because, you know, when you meet people for the first time, there are different ways of talking. I, I, I didn't come here to frighten you or alarm you. But let me respond to you directly in the way you say. We're in a life or death struggle. You're absolutely right. We were looking for a, a motto for our group, Catholic Unscripted, and we came up with, with, with counter-revolution squared. There's a rev social revolution taking place at the moment. The fact that people is not being brought on by guns like it was in 1917 and tanks in Moscow doesn't make it any less of a revolution. Look what's happened to our schools, our public institutions, the hospitals, the education boards, the universities, the arts company. Everywhere is being taken over by... by 
an aggressive way of changing the way that people behave. And in our country, the reason we know it's serious is they've begun to make us illegal. That's a sign when you know the revolution is taking place. So why we didn't want to come here and say and call you to arms. You did that once yourselves already very well. <laughs> but, we, but, we, but, but since you ask, we do need to be called to, to arms. Now, it's, it seems to me that, um, that the Catholic Church is the only place where this fight can be won. If you look at what happened in the Soviet Union, there was this terrible atheist revolution, and uh, and during the 90 years or so that, that it took place, the most dreadful things were happened to, to the church. Uh, you look at what's happened in China, where there are millions of underground Christians, the most dreadful things are happening. There's a very, very powerful spiritual, psychological metaphor. And at the moment, America, like Europe, is free, but we've started to give up our freedom in a way that I find impossible to believe. And, and, and we would want to say to you, don't give up your, any more of your freedoms. Now, unfortunately, we can't win the fight by fighting I'm people. Sure I'm sorry, that's Siri. <laughs> she doesn't get it. No, you wouldn't get it, Siri. You've, you've been badly programmed. And we're, we're trying to end the bad programming because all of us are being programmed by the media and by education. And we've all been programmed. And we have to be deprogrammed so that we can fight this fight. Sadly, it's not to do with guns because, like you, my first instinct is to reach for a gun and to fight my way to freedom. But this one can't be done like this. It's got to be done by prayer and penitence and trust and by the love of God, which makes it quite difficult for some men. Very good for women. Women get this immediately, which is why they fill the churches they're the first people on their knees and they're the people who make the biggest changes but we more primitive people men as we are we have to make this difficult transition from wanting to beat our, beat our enemies up to loving them forgiving them and praying them into heaven which is very hard for us but it has to be done but it can only be done through a renewed church and and in one sense it doesn't matter whether you become a priest or a layman i've been both what matters is you're in the place god wants you to be so just say to him as uh, you know mark had it exactly right Things change when, in the most difficult of circumstances, and we are in difficult circumstances, we say, "Thy will be done." So, what you know, he he'll let you know what he wants for you, and then you just do it. it, it actually, it becomes quite simple after a while. Once we, for, once we begin to stop saying, giving him advice and telling him on how he ought to win the particular struggle we're in, and we we get with whatever the plan the Holy Spirit is is doing. So, yes, there's a really real fight on. Yeah, but no, but they get spiked. They've gone wrong. They've been infected. I mean, they would if they worked well, but we're in a battle with Satan. And one of the things that Satan does is he twists things out of shape. Both our countries and our churches have been twisted out of shape. Okay, there's a dreadful crisis in the Catholic Church. You know what it is. I'm not going to spell it out to you. It's been twisted out of shape. It has to be brought back into shape. And that, that requires you and me to articulate faithfully without without condemning other people. We're not here to condemn people, but it requires us to articulate faithfully what Jesus wants for his church. We have that tension all the time, especially in the work that we're doing, because there's always that pull. Where am I in it? Am I Christ-centered or is, is, am I somehow putting myself and my will at the core? And so we have to kind of always return to that. And I think the only thing is to say, we just speak truth. Not my truth, but truth itself as people who speak truth all of us we're going to suffer you know christ tells us himself see how they persecuted me they'll persecute you we're going to suffer we must expect to suffer um we were just saying the other day the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church we we, we are being pushed constantly but we also told never you know always be willing to give an account of the hope that is within you because ultimately we know it may not be in our lifetimes we may not see it but if we if we remain faithful and if we trust and if we speak truth that's all we can do that's all we can do. And I've seen little glimpses, and I know we all have in our lives. I, I was in a situation where I had to um, report a parish priest, I'm sad to say, who was teaching all sorts of terrible ideology. And my job was on the line. And for two years, um, it looked like I might lose my job. And I was being told to be quiet and not to speak up. Don't rock the boat, all these sorts of things. And I went to my spiritual director and he said, just leave it with God. You've done your bit. You've spoken the truth. Whatever happens, just trust in God. It took two years, but the whole situation, through no more effort of mine, has been flipped. And that priest has now been 
into convalescing in in a, in a home uh, somewhere, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm praying for him. What can I do? What else can I do but pray for him? Like, there's the human response. The human response is, I'm he, he annoyed me. I'm really angry with you. I'm re- how dare you come and speak to young people and teach them these lies? And you're a priest. I'm angry. But Christ in me says, pray for that poor man. Leave it with me. You've done your bit. Step away. It's not about you. And in the, then Christ transformed it and, 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 has re, and has brought, and my spiritual director who advised me has now been brought in to that horribly dark situation. That's just one, and I'm sure we can all speak to that, where we leave it in God's hands. We never lose hope. We know the battle is won and we're prepared, if necessary, to die for our faith and to die for what is true. But, but for him, not for us. Yeah, so... I mean, this is the battle that we're engaged in as well, you know, very much. I think the important thing is, you know, I think about Jonah as a really good exemplar, you know, as a type of Christ. Um, And God says to him, you know, up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, thanks. And he legs it off, you know. (laughs) You know, and and sometimes we're a bit like that, aren't we? We know um, what's in front of us is a challenge and it's going to cost us something to do it. You know, Mother Teresa said, we're not called to be successful we're called to be faithful and that's the most important thing obviously with my own journey one of the big influences was the book of Job and if you think about it's so important I think to understand that God says were you there when I set the foundations of the earth and we don't know what God is working in our lives you know we don't know what miracles God is working in our lives and all we can do is work with we can be his hands and you know we know how we have to do that and we have to do that by standing up for the truth and by looking after each other and remembering that we build that it's Catholicism that builds culture. We built the hospitals, the schools, the legal system. This is our culture and these people are enjoying the benefits. They're only allowed to speak out against it because we have provided the space. Go and do that in, you know, in the Middle East and see, watch them how quickly they chop your bits off, you know? So, you can, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we, are, and I, I think the important thing is, right, and this is the same, exactly the same thing in the UK, right now we've got all these beautiful, wonderful things, we've got all these toys, and if we don't make the most of it, God's going to take all that away from us. Because there'll, be there'll come a time, like Pope Benedict XVI said, when the church will be much poorer, and we won't have as much to work with and now is the time if only our bishops could see how much they've got going for them you know and if they could have the courage to speak out for Jesus now thank God here you know we always look to some of your great bishops here you know we really do Archbishop Cordiglione you know comes to mind Strickland Proki is just a keeler you know we've got some amazing bishops that we follow very closely in the UK and we look to them for guidance as well and because our lot seem to be asleep most of the time we've all got problems but I think in Matthew 24 Jesus tells the, his apostles to obey the Pharisees you know there is there's an it's not up to us it's the vineyard isn't it it's the um, the, the bad workers in the vineyard what's, what's the Lord going to do when he comes eventually he sends his son doesn't he and they kill him what's he going to do when he comes back and this is so you know that's not up to us all we're just called to be faithful and to remember how important it is to build culture hi i i just wanted to it's actually not a question i wanted to compliment the three of you because i think you three have done a wonderful job of letting us realize how much we do have still in on the positive side of the united states and uh, thank you so much for what you've said about the wonderful the beautiful places you've been to in the Chicago area. But thank you for kind of reinforcing for us what we need to do, giving us hope that we do have still a lot of positive things. What's interesting is your last comment about the bishops that you you liked, more than a coincidence, WSFI here has the uh, Fulton J. Sheen Award that we've given three times since Angela got it started a couple years ago. And more than coincidence, the three that have received the award are Bishop Strickland, Archbishop Corleone, uh, Cardinal Burke, and then the fourth one, we're going to give a fourth one out in a couple months, it's going to be Bishop Paprocki. So, I mean, you've, you, you've hit, you hit the nail right on the head. I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my... We know who the good ones are. We all know, don't we? Uh, I just, I also want to commend you. You guys were... A- 
absolute delight and I feel so inspired and energized by your talk. I'm just curious, how did you connect with one another and what was the inspiration for the podcast and for the work that you're doing with the schools? How did we connect? Well, I mean, it's God. God's been directing this whole thing because it's just too bizarre to explain otherwise. I dis- I began to do my own YouTube channel, just talking to people. I, re- I, re- I realized how important it was in my own return. So I wanted to do something of that. And I just spoke with a few people and, and then, and both of these I spoke to on my channel and I knew Mark. And so I really connected with them and knew that we were of one kind of mind. And then the, there was stuff I won't go into the detail, but there was some stuff happening in a, lo- in a school in London that was really, really awful stuff that, where there was a clash between the culture and our faith, and it was really public. We needed to stand up. We felt that there needed to be a, a voice to stand up for Catholic education and to defend the integrity of Catholic education, and we all felt that. And so we came together and talked about that, and we've since set up a, a committee, and we're running conferences. And then we said, well, look, we're having these conversations privately all the time. We're ringing each other. We're talking about Catholic education. We're talking about the church. We're praying for each other. We said, why don't we just... I was already doing my YouTube channel. Why don't we just do that weekly? as a YouTube conversation, not really knowing how it would go down. And Gavin already had quite a big audience as he was, I don't know if you heard, chaplain to the Queen. Uh, <laughs> um, we've been putting the conversations on his channel, on Mark's, on mine, and they've just been building, you know, 100, 500, 1,000, 2,000. It's just been growing over the months that we've been doing. It's still very new. And the people have been commenting. I've had people commenting, thank you so much. I've got a daughter about your age, and it's been really helpful. It's helped us to have conversations. And so we just can see the fruits of the good fruits of what we're doing. Why are we all here? It's very mysterious, but God's hand is in this completely. And that's why we're here in Chicago today as well. Gavin. I'm very pleased to say that I've been asked if I'll tell you how to, how to help, how to follow up. Essentially, if you Google Catholic Unscripted or, or any of our names, Gavin Ashenden, Mark Lambert, Catherine Bennett, we, we, all, we all have channels and, and just, you can just write to us. And, and we need two things. We need, first of all, prayer, because without prayer, nothing happens at all. But at the moment, everything we do, we finance ourselves. There isn't any other money. And so if anyone wants to contribute to, to travel costs, uh, then we'd be incredibly grateful. I mean, ev- everything from keeping the YouTube shows going to, uh, to, to, to being here. We decided that although we had no resources at all, we have no one, we've got no one backing us. There's no organization. In fact, the organizations we belong to would rather we didn't do this. <laughs> Uh, but we thought we were quite sure that we want that God wanted us to do it, and you'll know this in your own lives. When you step out in the right direction, and it's the one that God wants, the next pace appears in front of you. You take it a step at a time, and we're finding that that's what's happening here. There's a big, there's a there's a very no- enormous struggle to be fought, but at the same time, we have to gather together people of like mind and like heart and and like discernment. Because if we can find each other, there's a chance that together we can begin to make an impact against the, 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 the forces that we're dealing with. If we remain separate and, and uh, unconnected with each other, then we'll probably just be swallowed up. So we're, one of the things we're trying to do is to make enough of a splash to gather people together. And at the moment, we can do it on the internet. It's not clear in Europe at any rate how long we can stay on the internet. You say the wrong thing on Twitter and you're off for a while. Sometimes we have to speak very elliptically in code on YouTube. We don't want to lose the platform. Our website, we've just, so it's quite embryonic. So thank you for, for listening and anything, any, any help you can offer, but most importantly, the prayers. If you visit www.catholicunscripted.com, um, we've just set this up and it's growing and we, we uh, really appreciate comments, a great encouragement wonderful prayer anything you can give and can I just take this opportunity sorry because I might not get another one I just want to say a huge thank you as well to my family at home because my husband is at home with the kids and uh, looking after them and I'm getting messages saying where's my cricket kit and I'm you know however many hundreds of miles across the other side of the world Uh, so family life still goes on the only reason we can be here is because our families are so supportive enabled us to be here so big thanks to them I think is something I want to so thank you for being here thank you for for, for joining us and listening uh, our thanks above all to to, to our Lord uh, and his mother for looking after the church all we all we're doing is repaying uh, as best we can with our own gratitude what we've been given 
Well, it's a great encouragement to do it together. So thank you for the invitation. I want to thank Father Chris particularly, because he's taken a real punt on us. We're also people who found in each other the same burning love of Christ and a desire. And and I'm, I'm hoping to get a meal out of this tonight, but I have to say, wherever we go, we see him welcomed and thanked and faith. We're just immensely grateful. But thank you to, for your two, for your prayers, for your understanding, and for your for your shared fellowship and love in the love of God and in our membership of his church. Bless you and thank you. This has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.